All right. If you would, as the kids go out, take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 38. Our message this morning is going to be on humility. Actually, it's not going to be on humility. I just wanted to show off the first place medal that Nick and I won last night at the cornhole tournament. Yeah, so I thought that, you know, nothing screams humility like walking out with your medal uh, around your neck. It's also dangerous when the guys running the sound and the light are some of the guys that you beat because they control over for you. That was well played up there. That was well done. I better get rid of this before it causes me major trouble. We really are going to look at Psalm 38, but the message is not uh, about humility. My name is Owen, I'm the pastor here, and we are so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. If you got a bulletin uh, program as you came in, on the back of that are just a, is a very rough outline of where we're going to go this morning. As we look at this psalm, we are in a series on the book of Psalms, thinking about how this worship book of the church, how does it guide us to respond to what we've learned about God's character, about who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we are responding to that by looking at the book of Psalms. Before we get into this particular psalm, let me just tell you really quickly, next Sunday morning, we always offer children's church during this time for our little ones up through second grade. Next week, we will offer a children's church for third through fifth grade during this time. The reason being, the psalm that we are going to look at next week has a theme and and some wording that's just, it's difficult. And, And we want, it's Psalm 137, and so if you want to look at that ahead of time and say, am I comfortable with my third to fifth grader being in here? Would I rather them be in a children's church time? I promise you all the time, I would never say anything crude or inappropriate, but it's just a, it's a difficult topic. And so we trust you, we respect you as parents to make that decision, and, and we'll offer that. You're always welcome to keep your kids in here during the sermon. Yeah, you, you always have the freedom to do that. But I just want to give you a heads up and let you know next week you'll have the opportunity to, to do that. Psalm 38 for this morning is a unique type of psalm because in the book of Psalms, there are some where every line begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is not one of those psalms, but this is one of the psalms that was designed to be 22 verses long, corresponding to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And and so it was put together very intentionally, and you'll find out that every verse has two parts— except one that we'll run into, but you'll see on the screen as we're reading or as you're reading in the copy of God's Word how it's broken down into these segments. So if you would, let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word, and we're going to read Psalm 38. You'll have it in front of you or you'll have it on the screen as well. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me, and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. 
My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sign is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. Verse 13, I'm like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Then listen to verse 15. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I'm about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord my Savior. Father, like so many of these psalms, the message is emotional, it's intense. And it reflects what so many of us have thought on numerous occasions. Father, we have so many people in our church who are dealing with sickness. Sickness personally, sickness in their family. So many deaths lately uh, throughout our church, fa- church family. God, would you help us to understand the relationship between sickness, living in a sinful world, and experiencing the glory of your salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Last week when we were honoring our two unpaid interns for this last summer, uh, Ben and Eric, we showed a video uh, of Eric when he was preaching as a junior high student. The first sermon that I preached was back in eighth grade as part of one of our uh, church's youth days that they would do when they would let us get up and lead the, lead the service on Sunday morning. And so I remember writing out this sermon on yellow legal pad. It was out of the book of Colossians chapter 4. Unfortunately, the notes went underwater in Katrina, and so I don't have, have those anymore. But I remember the experience of just being so nervous, standing up there, And it was over really fast, I'll let you know. It was about 10 or 12 minutes. I'd planned to go 25 or 30 minutes. God forgive you if you just thought, I wish he would go back to that 10 to 12 minute version. So the Lord will have mercy on your soul if you thought that. But uh, it, it was over very quickly. It was 10 to 12 minutes. But I remember feeling the Lord really used me in that moment. I was nervous. I was dependent upon him. And so then, a couple of years later, we did the youth service again, and they said that I could preach. And I thought, that wasn't so hard the first time. I did a pretty good job the first time. And so I didn't prepare very much. I have no clue what I was preaching on that second time, other than to say it was an utter train wreck, an absolute train wreck. I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed, I'm sure, my family. It, it, it was terrible. And after it was over, and all of those older people in church say all those nice things about you when you're young and you're trying to preach, 
I remember having the experience of running home. We lived across the street from the church, running home as fast as I could. And I fell on my knees beside my bed, and I promised the Lord that I would never, ever do that again. That I would never come to that moment of of taking lightly what it means to stand and, and preach and what it means to come before his word. Just like Miss Kathy teaches our kids about what it means to come before the Holy Bible, that I would never take that lightly again. And what I didn't realize at the time is I was participating in an act of worship that spans the history of God's people, and it's called a lament. A lament where you are so full of sorrow and you are so full of pain over something that you literally just pour yourself out before the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, if you can rescue me from this, if you can pull me out of this, God, would you, would you please do it? And what we have here in Psalm 38 is an example of one of those, an example of one of those laments where David, we don't know exactly when in life David is writing this. Most likely, it's after his time of adultery with Bathsheba and after he's allowed for the killing of, of her husband Uriah. After that's happened, almost certainly is when this particular psalm is coming about. But I want us to look at this psalm and see how it begins with this, this feeling of anguish. If you have it open on your phone or on your Bible, feel free to pull that back out. We're going to have it on the screen as well. Verses 1 through 2, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. You can see how this parallelism is happening throughout the psalm, and we're going to find this all the way throughout. But anger and wrath are being paralleled, rebuke and discipline. And then he turns around in verse 2, and he's trying to describe the anger and wrath. And he says, your arrows have sunk into me. Your hand has come down on me. In the original language, sunk and come down are actually the same verb. The, the translators are just trying to figure out a way to, to make it sound parallel, but it's virtually the same word. What we have here is David admitting that something has happened in his life that he is deserving of the Lord's rebuke, of the Lord's discipline, that he is experiencing the Lord's wrath. And this is not an easy concept to deal with in church. But it's something that we see, and this is not just the Old Testament God, this stretches into the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, as it's talking about how do we understand the Lord, actually verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We'll admit we live in an age when not a lot of people fear the Lord anymore, And a lot of that has to do with how we presented the Lord failing to provide this full picture throughout Scripture. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God, we've moved into the New Testament now in Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This idea of God's wrath, of God's anger being turned against sin is difficult. It's a hard concept and it's so difficult that some churches are trying to work it out of their vocabulary. They're trying to work it out of their experience of coming before the Lord. There's a a well-known hymn that's begun to develop in the last decade called In Christ Alone, uh, written by the Gettys and and by Townsend. And it's a hymn that we're going to sing today in response to God's word at the end of the service. But in that hymn, there's a line that says, Till on that cross, as Jesus died... The wrath of God was satisfied. 
But some of the other hymn books that came along and wanted to pick up this hymn, the Presbyterian Church USA a hymn that's kind of a non-denominational hymn called the Celebrating Hymn, they wanted to change the words to, till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. So the two options are, when Getty and Townsend wrote it, they wrote it, the wrath of God was satisfied. And these other churches came along and said, no, we don't want to say the wrath of God. We want to say the love of God is magnified. Can I just tell you that both of those are true? They are both absolutely true. The problem comes when we say we only want one side of God and we don't want the other. Because at that point, now we've gotten into the business of making God into our own image. We like the idea of a loving God, but we have no room for a wrathful God or a God who responds to sin. And David is making very clear here in Psalm 38 that if we are going to understand what it means to respond to God, we are not just responding to his love, but we are responding to his holiness and to his power and to his response to sin and the result of sin in our world. And so David is making that very clear. Look what happens, though, in verse 3. David's prepared us for the seriousness of the situation And then in verse 3, he says, because of this sin, because of the Lord's response, there is no soundness in my flesh. Because of your indignation, because of your rebuke against this sin, there is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And so David is bringing together in this psalm soul sickness and physical sickness, body sickness. And he's beginning to put these two together. And and we're going to talk here in a few minutes about how those two go together because it's it's not an easy easy topic. But he's beginning to put these two together. And and the part there at the end kind of stuck out to me, this idea that my iniquities, my experience have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Many of you have experienced in your own lives the coming together of physical pain and mental anguish. When you are experiencing very bad physical pain, when you are extremely sick, oftentimes that will also come with mental anguish. It might show up in depression. It might show up in your personality changing. It might show up in you having these responses to family and friends that you've never really noticed before. But it's this relationship between our body being sick and our mind trying to deal with this. And, and the psalmist is showing how these two come together. But what he continues to keep in there is this reality of sin. Go to verse 5 and see how it continues to go from verse 5. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning. And there is no soundness in my flesh. Verse 8. Uh, I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. And so one of the questions that people will ask when they come to Psalm 38, and this is the very key question for this psalm, when David talks about being in pain, And when he talks about being sick, is he talking about literal sickness or is he talking about metaphorical sickness? In other words, is he just using that as an imagery for his sin? And you guys know the answer. The answer is both. 
(laughs) He's talking about both. Yes, it is metaphorical. He is using these imageries of sickness to say that I am so overwhelmed with my sin against the Lord that it makes me sick. You may have had that experience in your life where you have done something to hurt a family member or a friend or you've done it, maybe it was a private thing but you knew it was a sin against the Lord and you literally got sick to your stomach because you realized that it was not what the Lord was leading you to do, that you were living in sin. And, and so it should, it should make us sick. But David is also talking to here about literal sickness. Scholars don't know exactly what sickness David was dealing with, but there's a good chance that he was dealing with leprosy. Like I said, we don't know this. We don't have any indication it was exactly the right. But when you look at some of the descriptions of this sickness, it seems to match up with a lot of what we know about leprosy. And when you read through the Old Testament, leprosy was one of those things that would come against God's people when they were rebellious to him. And so what I want you to know as we begin to talk about how sickness and sin fit together is all sickness, all bodily sickness leading unto death that we face in this world is a result of sin in the world. We live in a world that has been wrecked by sin, that has been marred by sin. As God created all things good in Genesis 1 and 2, and then in Genesis 3, sin comes into the picture, and we see that God, as Romans 8 says, the world begins to groan. And so we live in this world that is wrecked by sin, And so we can say that all sickness is in some way a result of us living in a sinful world. But let me follow that up by saying this. Not every particular sickness is the result of a specific sin in your life. In other words, when my uncle uh, was going through ALS and he was going into some of the later stages, and some of you have been through that experience with ALS, you know the pain that goes with that, the, just how hard it is on a family. A person came to his house and walked in and told him that because of a previous sin in his life, he had gotten ALS. Did that person have any right to do that, to walk in and say that? No. Some of you probably have experienced that in your life, where someone has tried to point out something in your life and said, that caused this. And we know that that's not true because we see places in Scripture where it's not true. The story of Job. We see Job as a righteous man, and, and the suffering that he's facing isn't attached, attached back to a particular sin. John 9. John 9 is a great passage to write down at this point. I'm starting to cut in and out. All right. Let's try it for a little bit longer and see if we lose battery. We'll go for it. John 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here's a man who was facing physical 
trouble. His body was not working the way it was supposed to work. And there were people who were trying to figure out what sin resulted in him being blind. And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question altogether. It wasn't a particular sin that resulted in him being blind. It was that God allowed this to happen for his glory. And so we have to be so careful about not attaching particular sins to particular illnesses. But at the same time, Scripture also gives us examples of where sin results in illness. Look at what happens in 1 Corinthians when Paul is writing about the Lord's Supper. He says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, anyone who approaches this in a flippant, non-reflective, secular manner, that is why some of you are weak and ill and some have died. That's a hard passage. And that's one of those passages you want to make it say something other than what it does, but you know you're being dishonest at that point. What Paul is saying is because of the way that some of the people were approaching the worship of God, they were being so flippant about it, so loose about it, that they become weak and ill and even died. We see this play out in our lives different ways. Sometimes the pain and the sickness in our life is a result of a moral choice that we make. When my stomach hurts sometimes, it's not necessarily because of what I ate, though it might be. It might just be because I'm stressed out and I'm worried about things I shouldn't be worried about and I'm experiencing physical pain that's tied back to a particular sin in my life. This is like when we come before a meal that is incredibly unhealthy. You know, you sit down over your plate of donuts and then you break into your prayer, oh Lord, bless these donuts to the nourishment of our what are we praying at that point of course you're not going to feel well an hour later because you ate a whole plate of donuts and you can pray all day long that the lord would bless those donuts to the nourishment of your body and you're still going to feel sick an hour later there is a linkage there that's happening sometimes it's a linkage that we can make easily sometimes it's one we can't make easily but there is a connection going on there between sin and sickness Sin and sickness are both designed to destroy us, to eat us up from the inside out. But sin and sickness are also able to draw us to the Lord. Sin and sickness are designed by the enemy to destroy us from the inside out. But oftentimes the Lord will also use those experiences to draw us to him. He'll, he'll, he'll use those for his glory. And so I want us to think about, and you see this on your notes, I want us to think about the relationship between sickness and salvation and the relationship between sin and salvation and how these work together. Let's look first, first in verse 11. In verse 11, David says, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. You notice on the screen that verse 12 has three lines. It's the only verse in this psalm that has three lines long, and it's because it's the transition point, it's the midpoint of the psalm, and so it's designed to be a little bit longer. And he's talking about how his enemies are trying to take advantage 
of his illness. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand at this point, but there may have been a time in your life that you got sick or you were going through something particularly painful in your life and either your friends left you or your enemies tried to attack you at that particular time. Because when we're physically sick, we're often the most vulnerable. And what we're particularly vulnerable to is isolation. When we are sick, we have this way that our body works and our mind works that it makes us feel like we're all alone, that nobody cares about us, that nobody's thinking about us, that the world has this way of sinking in on us. And the way that God's salvation works is that when you are going through those times of physical sickness, the best thing that you can do is you can draw near to the Lord and you can draw near to the Lord's people. When you are sick, that you would draw near to the Lord and trust in him and that you would draw near to the Lord's people. Because at those times in particular, I don't know if this is like in, in your life, but here's how it works in my life. When I am physically sick, I often find myself most spiritually vulnerable to temptation. And let me tell you kind of how this works in my life. When you're physically sick, number one, your mind obviously is not working as clearly as it should be. Number two, sometimes you have this feeling that the Lord owes you something at that point. And and this may just be me processing this out too, but this is how it works. I feel vulnerable to temptation because here I am, sick, in pain, not feeling well, and at that moment, sin can start to feel like a salve. It can start to feel like a medicine. If I just go out and do something to make myself happy, it'll help me deal with this pain or deal with the sickness. That's a temptation from the enemy. That is seeking in that moment of sickness to make you run away from the Lord and not to the Lord. But if you will draw near to the Lord and you will draw near to his people, in the history of the church, Christians have been those who were there to care for the sick. In the early years of the church, in the early centuries of the church, the Christians were the ones who went to the places where the people were sick, who went into their homes, who cared for them. We developed a lot of the hospitals, a lot of the early health care came as a result of Christians saying that we will go where people are sick because people need to know that the Lord is with them. And sometimes the only way they can know the Lord is with them is when they see one of God's people there with them in their presence. Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the famous preachers from the 19th century, preached to huge crowds, incredibly popular. But he said that one of the most important things that he did early in his ministry is he visited those who were sick. He would go into their homes and he would care for them and he would be with them because he knew that they needed an example of God's presence in their life. And so if you are dealing with sickness, I just want to tell you, this is not the time to run away from the Lord. This is not the time to rebel against the Lord. This is the time to draw near to him and to draw near to his people and to find that hope and to find that healing. And it's also a time to call out in prayer, to pray that the Lord would be gracious, to pray that the Lord would be merciful. Many of you have been very sick and you've dealt with extremely hard things in your life. And at those times, sometimes we don't know how to pray. Do we call out to the Lord for healing? Do we call out to the Lord just to be merciful and allow us to somehow pass? What, how do we pray at those times? 
we get a good example in the ministry of Jesus. In the ministry of Jesus, we see that the physical healing that he would bring was always healing that pointed beyond bodily healing and pointed to the healing that we need before the Lord. So when Jesus came and he was working these miracles, one of the things that he would say is he would say that these miracles that you see, they are signs that God's kingdom is breaking into the world. And they are signs that God is going to come in power and he is going to defeat sin and he is going to defeat death and he is going to make all things new. And I'm showing you that and in one way I'm showing you that is through healing. A lot of our international missionaries, and I would ask you particularly to pray for our international missionaries. We had a missionary of the Southern Baptist Convention die recently as in a really tragic situation. And we know, we know missionaries. We know the, the work that they do and the calling on their life. But one of the things that they will sometimes do is they will walk into homes and they will pray for healing and they will pray for the Lord to work a miracle in that home as a way to then point the people to the hope of Christ to save them for eternity. And so God desires that physical healing would be related to spiritual healing. And one of the ways that we know this is because every person that Jesus healed physically by a miracle went on to die. And I don't say that to dismiss the power of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I mean it in the opposite way. But even Lazarus, who was dead and in the tomb for for four days, and Jesus came and he brought him back to life, Lazarus died. That physical healing was not meant to be the end of the story. And that's the power of Psalm 38. And that's the power of Jesus' work in our world, is his physical healing is good. And the presence of God when you are going through pain is good. But it is designed to point you to an ultimate healing that the Lord wants to bring in our lives. And I want to show you this as we kind of wrap up this psalm. We get down to David's response In verse 18, in verse 18, as David has thought about this pain, he says, I confess, oh, actually, let's back up. Let's look at verse 9 as well. I forgot about that. Oh, Lord, all my longing, you guys were on the right screen. I messed you up. I'm sorry about that. Hit verse 9 as well. If you're in your Bibles, we're going to go back and catch catch verse 9. All my longings. Lie open before you, O Lord. My sign is not hidden from you. The first thing that David did when he recognized his sickness is in verse 9. He said, I'm laying it all before the Lord. What this points us to is it points us to the power of conviction. It points us to the fact that when we are faced with our own sickness, when we are faced with our own sin, The one thing we don't need to do is we don't need to hide that. What we need to do is we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm going to lay this completely before you. Amanda and I found this out when we worked with college students in in Oklahoma part of the time that we were there, especially when we were living in Stillwater, and we worked with college students. And this doesn't just pertain to college students. This pertains to adults as well. But we would invest in these college students And then something would happen in their life, and they would get tripped up by a particular sin, 
and then we couldn't find them. We would go searching for them. They, they had been active in the church. They had been doing well seeking after the Lord, but they would get tripped up by a sin, and they would say, I just can't, I just can't come to church right now. I, I'm struggling with too much in my life. I have too many sins in my life. And I wanted so much at that point just to grab them and say, but that's exactly where you need to be right now. Even though you were struggling with sin, even though you've tripped up in life, this is not the time to run from the Lord. This is the time to run to the Lord. And I just say, I want this to be a place where that can be the truth, that this can be a place, yes, we point people toward living to, uh, for Christ. We don't condone sin. We want to live holy lives, but we also want to say that there's healing and there's hope, and, and that's always not easy to come by, but we need to be a place of grace. And I realize that I've messed up in those ways, that, that I've not been the pastor, or I've not even been the Christian that I need to be in sometimes in those ways. But what we want to say is we need to lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, we need your healing. Now in verse 18, which I was trying to get to earlier, David says, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. This is how the Lord brings salvation through confession. And we all realize that there are two kinds of sorry. There is the, I'm sorry I got caught, and there is the sorry that reaches deep into your gut, and you realize that you want to turn from what you've done, and you want to follow the Lord. Uh, We have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old, and you all have seen our three-year-old, and she is three years old, and she is pushing us to our boundaries as parents, and we're trying to uh, you know, point her in the right direction. And so she'll do something she's not supposed to do, and we'll say, Emery, tell Austin that you're sorry for trying to hit her. And what does every three-year-old do at that point? I'm sorry, Austin. Is she sorry? No way she's not sorry. She's saying that so that she can try to get past it without getting in any more trouble and go on and live her life however she wants. How many of us as adults do that exact same thing before the Lord? We do something we know is not right. Someone calls us on it, and we say, I'm sorry for that. We go on. There's an amazing verse in the New Testament that relates to this. If, if, If you want next to Psalm 38, verse 18, I would encourage you to write down this verse. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Here's what it says. As it is, and this is Paul speaking, as it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly sorrow, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow produces death. I would encourage you to circle that verse, underline that verse, make a note in your phone about that verse. Godly sorrow, how do I know if I'm really sorry or not? It produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. To know that you can turn against the Lord and then you can confess your sin before him and he brings salvation And he leaves you with no regret because you know that that sin has been perfectly paid for 
through Jesus Christ. And then finally, the end of this particular psalm, verses 21 and 22. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. David was convicted. He confessed it before the Lord. And then he cried out, he called out to the Lord for salvation and for forgiveness. He was sick, he was living in sin, and he experienced perfect salvation. I just want you to know that that salvation, that healing comes through Jesus Christ. That on the cross, he took all of our pain and he took all all of our sin, and he took all of the wrath that would have been due against us, he took that all, and then he turned around and he defeated death so that we do not have to be held down by that. And this is all encapsulated in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. There is therefore now no condemnation. No one can hold against you any sickness or any sin For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Any sickness, any pain that you experience in this life is ultimately temporary. And any healing and any salvation that you experience through Jesus Christ is ultimately victorious. Yes, we will suffer. Yes, we will get tripped up. Yes, we will have loved ones die. But we have hope and we have healing and we have victory because of Christ. And that comes through Christ alone. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray for us and then we are going to sing that song in Christ alone. We're gonna have a few more people available for prayer than we normally do. We're gonna have some people down here. If you're in the balcony, there's gonna be a person, two, actually two people up by the screen. If you're dealing with sickness in your life right now, if you are sick and you are hurting and you just need someone to pray for you, this is the opportunity to respond and just to say, you know what, I can't tell you all the details, but I am sick right now. And I need someone to pray for me. We're going to have people that will pray for you. If you know that you have been living in sin and you know that you've never turned to the Lord for repentance and for hope and you're looking for a church and a place to live that out, we want to be available to pray for you. Maybe your best response right now is you just seen in Christ alone and you've seen it with all of your heart and you pray that the Lord would make that true in your life right now. I'm going to pray for us. And after I do, you'll have a chance to respond to the Lord however he's leading you.